Hey, how you doing? It's Clayton here from howtodrawcomics.net and welcome to the HTDC podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by co-hosts Rick Bulow and Ed Poichok. Thanks for joining me again, guys, for another episode. How are you doing today? I'm not dead. You're not dead. <laughs> you, you, you're over the flu. You're, uh, you're, you're on the mend, at least. Well, or maybe I'm, I'm in that area where, where it's lulling me into a false <laughs> sense of safety, and then it just grabs me again and pulls me down. That's it. The worst is I'm a little you worried. You guys were both sick in the last week since we did that podcast. Huh. I'm scared you guys are like handing viruses over the internet here. It yeah, could... this is not a this is not a con flu, this is a podcast flu. <laughs> that's exactly it. So I'm next up. But you're in good health now, Ed, and that's what matters. I feel relatively good as I start to sweat and twitch, right? Awesome. <laughs> no. All right. So 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 this episode is a rather special one because it'll be our first Q and A session where we'll be answering Woo-hoo! questions straight from the HTDC commu- uh, community about the art of creating comics. And so far, we've had quite a few that have been sent in. So without further ado, Ed, why don't you start us off with our first question? Yeah, let's get rolling on this. This was from Mr. Witty, a friend of mine. He asks, I've of the opinion that self-publishing is the best, not only, way to break into the industry. Editors, publishers want to see hard numbers in sales before they will consider an artist. Do you guys agree or disagree? Is this the best method to break into the business? That's... So self-publishing, right? Yeah, yeah. So self-publish your first creator-owned book and then that'll kind of give you a bit of street cred so to speak yep so that's what he's basically saying that's what he's asking he's saying it's not the only way but he he's Mm -hmm. like that's what i think is the best what do you guys think yeah totally well it's really an interesting question because i have heard that dc and marvel do tend to hire artists who have a bit of a following who have uh you know people know about them they're posting their work out there and that kind of gives those companies i would guess an inkling into whether or not that particular artist is marketable and is going to sell well because if people like their work then they're going to like the comics that they hire them to do and i'm, I'm guessing that's kind of the strategy there in that capacity but for sure i 100 percent think that if you put together your own comic book and you get it out there and it's got a bit of a readership going on then i don't that not only tells them, you know, that you've got a bit of a following, but it also says something else about you. It says that you can carry through a project from start to finish, that you can get the pages inked and colored and that you can put out a full book. So essentially, that's kind of like your, uh, uh, what better art test could you ask for than that? It's basically a portfolio. It's basically a portfolio of your stuff right then and there, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Very much so. Yep. Yep. I think it would count for a lot. What about uh, you, Ed? What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, totally agree with you guys. I think it's it's your work experience. It's your portfolio. It's it's everything. It's showing that you can carry a book to finish, and <laughs> you know, and you can do it in a consistent manner. And if you've got a number of issues under the belt, then it shows that you can accomplish, right? You know, because uh, that's a hard task for a lot of artists out there and stuff. So. And I think, you know, honestly, finishing books, you gain certain skills. The more books you finish, you're going to, you know, you're going to get better and better at doing, at doing them, generally speaking, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they look mm. for any type of experience. And self-publishing is one of the ones that you have absolute control over. You know, Absolutely. Like it's, it, it's your baby. You publish how you want it. You put it out. You distribute it. You put it online, whatever. And so... We're looking at what you are. Yeah, and in a sense, I think even for you yourself as an artist, like you want to know that you can put out a full book. Imagine if you were hired and you'd never done one before. I mean, you wouldn't know Absolutely. what to expect. It could be way more than than you could have even comprehended. And I think that yeah. uh, you know Vin- Vince Rodriguez mentioned that in the episode where we interviewed him. You know, he got a bit of work from uh, Xenoscope, and it was mm-hmm. just so much more than he expected. And the deadlines that he had to meet and that kind of thing. So at least if you finish your own book, you have gone through the process and you kind of have a better idea of the ropes and and what they consist of. What about you, Rick? Absolutely. 
What is your opinion? Well, I can only speak from uh, from how I see things with a logical and rational mindset because I haven't been there. <laughs> so, basically, what you you guys are saying it it's it's a portfolio and it helps you. Mm. Yep. Totally. It helps you if you're consistent. Yeah. And if so. you have more than if you have more than one comic out as well, those reviewing that will see okay. He got the experience because he's done more than one. Mm. Yep. But do you guys think it's the only way to get work these days in the big oh, two, no. say to, so no, to speak? No, 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 mm. no. Yeah, like but you, you know, you could get scouted at a comic con. You could totally. get picked up in portfolio reviews or contests and stuff. I like get, mm. or like, for example, like let's say Stanley Lau. You know, if you're an extremely good and well-known uh, pinup artist. You know, you can get picked up for alternate covers and everything too, right? Like Art Germ, I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, Stanley absolutely. From Singapore, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's different avenues into it and stuff. It's just the one that I think you have the most control over is to self-publish. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I guess that is a long route to go. So in other words, if your skill set isn't quite there yet and you do do an entire book, uh, that still may mean that you don't quite you know get the contract and so sure. a faster way of finding that out finding what level you are at whether or not you are ready f to, to delve into the industry in that capacity is by doing maybe you know six samples or so of sequential storytelling and and kind of seeing where that gets you you know throwing out the line seeing what you can catch and then taking into consideration the areas from improvement for improvement from that feedback yeah, like honestly, I'd you know everybody knows I want to work for Marvel. Right? It's no mm -hmm. secret, uh, but I I would be scared if they gave me a book right now. I don't yeah. I don't know if I could carry a book, and I don't I definitely don't know if I could carry a book on a deadline right now. I I'd love to try, but geez, I I really don't know yet. You know, like that that would be a huge huge task in front of me, right? Yeah, it's pretty intimidating. Um, yep. Rick, did you have some more thoughts on that one? Well, I, I just wanted to add but that basically what 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 the the progress have been from almost from day one in my, from what I from how I understand it by showing finding finding the people you want to show show it off to still works as well it as it as it did that that time as it does today except for now we also have the internet to do that with and sending sure. emails with it so it makes it makes it makes it easier now but the progress that works back then still works now i don't think anything in that ha has changed at all yeah. well i don't know i think the ability to distribute has changed you know like mm -hmm. for an independent Absolutely. guy uh being able to print distribute or even distribute digitally and stuff like that the avenues of, of yeah, yeah, small yeah, yeah, press yeah. distribution have changed up a little bit. I right? was more I was more thinking about the old ways that don't sure. forget those. They still work. They, oh, they're, definitely. They're, they're not forgotten. They're not passe. Yep. Yeah, well, that's okay. very true. Clayton, you want to read on to the next one there? All right, so the next question... Let's take a look here. Well, uh, actually, Jeffrey Witte uh, posted a few questions. He did. Um, he's a very he's a good guy, actually. I'm, I mean, I met him in person a number of times. Oh, awesome, awesome. Cool yeah, guy. I think I knew him like I think I've known him for maybe five or ten years. Like, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. And and you know, this got this particular question that he posted got the thumbs up from somewhere one else as well. So, um, which is cool because we can kind of see what questions are the most important here that people want to know about. But he says that. Con prints, is it better to color prints or uh, over black and white? Um, so let me read that again. What he's saying is, is it better to have color prints or is it better to have them as black and white? And oh, I see if one isn't yeah. a good colorist, is it better to pay to get the art colored before selling the prints at a con? And uh, he Hells, says, yeah. yeah, he says that he asks this because his coloring skills are, are lagging behind a little bit, which I think that a lot of artists who just kind of focus on the line art, definitely that's the case for many of us. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go on this one because I want to. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, man. One. Take it away. Yeah. You know what? I've seen all different types of prints sell. And, you know, I've even seen 3D prints. I don't know if you've ever seen those like. Uh, almost like a wood etching or something like the paper's layered on top of itself. Nice. So you get 
you get depth to the print and everything, right? So there's all different types that'll sell. And if you're slick, you're slick. Like if you're Todd McFarlane and you want to post up a black and white of, you know, Spawn, Spidey, whatever, Todd's going to sell it, right? But let's say you're an average con tabler, right? Conner, mm-hmm. con air, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, you're 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 going up against everybody else and stuff, right? And everybody else is going to have color and you don't. You yeah. better have a hook, you know. And so, yeah, I'm going to flat out say, uh, pay somebody. Pay a colorist, get it done. And I've actually done those for my buddies before. Um, they paid me to do up, uh, they've done up great pinups, and I th- throw some colors on them, and they bring them to Comic-Cons. So wait, it, wait, it works wait. out well. Didn't you, get, didn't you tell us earlier that you make your daughter color your stuff, Ed? Oh, she does color my stuff sometimes. Yeah, uh, she does. She's she's my uh, flat laborer. You know, she's nice. my flatter. Nice. Yeah, yeah, she does that. But um, no, honestly, like this is so important that you know you're you're gonna in our Comic Con uh, podcast we've talked about the wall of prints. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we can throw an echo on there. Uh, you know, and yeah. when you go to a Comic Con, you're gonna see ten, fifteen, twenty foot walls of just massive poster prints that people are selling right mm-hmm. and they're looking to catch everybody's eye and everything so if you're sitting there with your little kinko's black and white photocopies geez it's going to be a tough haul yeah the reality is it's not it's not it's just not going to attract the attention that colored work will and it's and so it's a promotional tool you know to get your Very work colored and why not i mean you're supporting the industry in a way um, you know, people, our fellow color artists, colorists out there who you yep. know, need the work with this stuff. And usually they're going to do it for a reasonable price, unless they're like some crazy superstar, then they might mm-hmm. ch- charge a, uh, pr- at a premium, but usually you'll get it for a pretty good deal. And I'm totally. So here's a question. How much? Um, put it out there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a tough one. Honestly, I think it, it's going to come down to the artist. I, I've never really thought about it personally, just doing coloring and, and what I would charge for that. But um, for for example, um, well, actually, I got my brother to color some work up for me recently, uh, Corey, who, you know, as you know, also does comic books. Yep. And yep. Um, I, I paid him about 50, I, I paid him 50 bucks to do a, a finished illustration. So yep. to, just to color it up. That sounds about right. I've done some coloring work as well for... Mm. Uh, with a little but just color coloring work and as you as you said it's about the artist it's about how much work you have to put into it so yeah again as we talked about in a in an in another podcast what i do is i i usually put in the hours of work mm-hmm. mix that into the cons- consideration of payment because mm. coloring sure. is going to be faster than pens uh, the, than the drawing in itself so yeah and if you're paying someone to color the work it it's down to your budget as well like there are sure. artists out there the colorists who are going to be able to color that black and white line art up for like you know i mean 10 bucks and and yeah, i know that right. sounds crazy but some people do actually say that they'll do it for you at that price it depends on the quality that you want, and you got to balance that out with the budget that you've got to spend on it. I agree. I agree. Mm. Okay, so on to the next question. Okay, cool. Again, we're going to go with Jeffrey Witte. He's got a lot of good ones here. Oh, nice. Um, his question is, it's a big one, how do we save the comic industry and increase readership? All right. How do we save the comic book industry and increase readership? Um that is a really good question. I'm somebody who is always very optimal about the future. No, sorry, that's not the word I'm looking for. Hopeful. <laughs> Hopeful okay. about the future. And optimistic, that's what I meant to say. And and I think that the reason for that is because all of these things, you know, they come in waves. Comic books is a niche market. It was very, very popular at one stage in, in its history. And... I think that things that kind of go out of fashion for a little bit tend to come back into fashion at some point. You know, collector mm-hmm. cards and stuff, I think they're yep. also going to do the exact same thing. They're going to come back into fashion. You know, 
things like coin collecting and that kind of stuff, that's pretty old-fashioned. I don't think if that'll come back with a bang, but I do believe that comic books, you know, there's a certain charm to them that draw people in still today, and they're young people as well. You know, it's not just us old farts that grew up with comics <laughs> that are going into the comic book stores. It, you know, younger people getting into it, and the movie industry, Disney, yeah. has obviously, you know, created a lot more hype around the medium of comic books. The problem is they don't always represent the characters on the big screen in the way that they're supposed to be represented in the comic books. And a lot of the time, they have much more substance in that medium. So, yep. you know, you've yep, got to yep. hope that... Um, Disney's got it fairly worked out. They've got f great fleshed-out characters when you watch the movies that people fall in love with, and I think that they're representing those comic the comic book counterparts very well on the big screen. But mm -hmm. um, I think that'll be what you know really builds the industry back up. And I also think, and this is just you know me spitballing ideas and stuff, but I do believe that independent comic book creators are really going to bring the industry back in a big way um, and the cool. reason for that is because I think we're going to see a higher quality of line art and and coloring and illustrations within those books better writing because it's coming from the imagination of the creator and you know, when it come when you're working for yourself and you've got this idea that you've been thinking about every single night, and whenever you go to work, right, and and you're just imagining how cool it would be to get it out there, it becomes very developed and fleshed out fast. And there's a certain love and passion behind it that you just don't get when you're working for somebody else. But um, I agree. Yeah, I'll let you jump in there if you want. Rick, Rick, what do you think? What can save yeah. the comic industry? Well, I don't think anything drastic needs to be done because how I see it right now is that why the why it's on a low right now is because we are still doing the whole understanding of converting into the indie independent market and still realizing how much how much good stuff there is in that and it's not mm. just the big big twos and the big threes anymore so we are currently in that in that conversion phase uh, co yeah i don't know if it's the conversion phase but the shifting phase yeah okay. of go i'm going from going from understanding that there's more than just the big two and then probably uh, probably take them in uh, the in independent market and when that happens probably uh, the numbers will will start showing again. Yeah, and I'm also I'm also curious. Who, I mean, a lot of my friends that's been comic book readers that stop reading the big two still reads massive amounts of indie indie comics, and it's, and you, the question with the with the asks, is that taken into account that many indie comics and and so forth still isn't isn't looked uh, looked at with the number with the same numbers as big big company uh, comic sales so it's harder to see how many people actually buy stuck at the in indie comics and reads them yeah and etc as it it's easier for marvel and dc to do that you also have to keep that in account that Maybe it's actually less less numbers that that it, that it looks like because we can't take every all those same numbers into account from uh, independent markets. Mm. You point. Yeah. What do you think, Ed? Um, <clears throat> I think a blockbuster. Oh yeah, really? You know, like <laughs> I just think that. Uh, and this isn't a good or bad thing. This isn't like doom and gloom when I think of Blockbuster. Yeah. This is me saying that, hey, print media is in a massive transition. Mm -hmm. When we look at print newspapers, when we look at the old distribution networks for magazines and for comic books, when we look at how that shifted over time, and when we look at uh, even the beginning of uh, like distribution for movies and stuff right so 
I'm old enough to remember when I could buy comic books in your local grocery store, drug store, wherever, on the spinner rack, even in the gas stop, like gas stations and stuff, right? Mm. Then that went through a huge shift in the 80s to the local comic book stores. And that was the primary distribution. So they took them all out of most of those retail outlets because they were getting damaged on the racks and all these kind of things, right? And they said, okay, well, now this is a premium service. We're bringing them into local comic book stores. And this is going to be our main distribution channel for comics, right? Mm. And maybe that has to be, maybe that's blockbuster. Maybe comics aren't blockbuster. Movies, like uh, comics are simply a medium. Just yeah. like movies, video is a medium, right? So blockbuster, you know, the the industry grew beyond it. Blockbuster couldn't understand what was happening. Hmm. It didn't end up buying Netflix or buying stock in Netflix. You know, it, it said, no, yeah. we're going to go to uh, mail distribution of videos and stuff, right? They were going to mail outs, you know, keep them for two weeks. It didn't yeah. work. And now Blockbuster is gone, right? And so I think the local comic book stores, and I'm sure there's mm. going to be some people messaging me after this and totally. getting mad. I think they're dinosaurs. Yeah, or I mean, that's a they sad... Have to, they have to change. Because mm. here's the thing. I love my local comic book store. Like, I love being able to walk into a store, chat them up, uh, see what's around. But I think they've got to... They've got to switch things up, you know, whether it's, uh, and I've seen some of them already doing this. They're switching mm. into being uh, geek stores, you know, yeah. toy stores, uh, gaming, toys, comics, collectibles, totally. all of these types of things, right? And so my view is that, listen, comics aren't dying. Comics are a medium. It's how we are growing in our distribution channels and stuff, right? Yeah. And because, you know, there's a lot of readers out there. And there's a lot of good products coming out. Mm. Uh, it's just like, for example, I subscribe to Marvel Unlimited and I enjoy reading new issues and back issues and stuff. And I, I think, you know, that's very much a possible way that people are moving forward. My only caution with this with this would be, I think the traditional method and pricing that they've been going since the 90s is pricing out younger uh, consumers. Yeah. You know, it used to be 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar. And then it's now it's like five bucks in an issue. And it's just it's really tough for young people to get into comic books. When I bring my daughter to a comic book store, uh, first thing I say is, where's the dollar bin? Mm. I'm like, listen, you can either go to the new rack, the new releases and pick up two. Or yeah. you can head to the dollar bin and pick up ten. Totally. And she's like, she heads to the dollar bin because she just wants to enjoy. Just like me sitting around like sitting around and, you know, picking up those 10 cent comics, you know, you, they're, they're ratty, they're, they were in the bins and stuff, but it, I just wanted to read them. I just wanted to enjoy them. Right. And so I think two things, one, the industry needs to, uh, relook at itself and on its distribution channels, uh, and make either digital more enticing or make the lump local comic book stores more enticing and two, make sure we always bring in young readers. Yeah, big time, man. And when you've got a digital platform like that, there's no reason why you can't take the price down to a much lower amount, you know, say the, the oh, 50 cents cheaper. or the dollar, right? And maybe that yeah, no, would no, no. be the so, key to getting younger. So there are subscription mm. services much, much cheaper oh, cool. than, buy, than going and buying issues. When you subscribe to Marvel Unlimited or DC or whatever, mm. you're paying like five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever really? it is and stuff. Wow. Like It's just like... Uh, almost like a cable provider. That is amazing. And you know what I would recommend them thinking of doing in the future is looking at linking packages, mm. like let's say Disney. Disney, you subscribe to the Disney Channel, you know, mm. like Netflix, you subscribe to the Disney Channel, and you get the whole Disney experience. You get the Marvel Unlimited app. You get this. Totally. You get that. You know, you know that's that's forward thinking. And so hopefully mm. that's what they're doing. Well, that's oh, what it's Disney. about, isn't it? It's innovation. Yeah. And when you look Disney's at when you look at Blockbuster. That was their biggest downfall is that they didn't innovate when times changed. So you've right. got to be great at adapting. And I think that with the digital age of comic books and how that's all going forward, I still think that's got a little bit of evolution to go, but I do believe it's the right direction to go in. I saw a comic book uh, recently by Dave Raposa called uh, mm -hmm. Starveal, and I actually linked it in the HDDC comic book store because it's free online. You can check it out. And oh, cool. what's amazing about this book, right, is 
it has taken advantage of the fact that it's digital in creating these like little animations within not all of the panels, just some of the panels. And oh. what I've found that, it, you know, it might be just the cape of the character flapping or like, yeah. you know, you see the energy kind of pulsing through the, the blast that one of the characters have, you know, hit the other character That's with. Awesome. It's really, really cool. And they're just, they're small, like two, three frame animations, but they add so much more immersion, even if it's just one panel on that page that's got that animation going on. I wonder how he does that. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm going to have to look at it. Like, yeah. I don't cool. know the like formatting a, he does for his files and stuff like that, but PDFs don't allow animations or anything. Well, like that, it's right? a, so. on a blog format, so you kind of okay. scroll through it on his website. That's the difference. Right. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. It's super cool. And Rick, sorry, you, you had something to say? Oh, yeah, that was just adding to the whole uh, package deal thing that Ed was talking about. DC is coming out with their own uh, at the moment where they... If you if you subscribe to them, you you get their new TV series they're coming out with, like Titans, which I personally am a huge fan of. That's nice. some of cool. the best. That's some of the best uh, uh, stuff DC have produced when it comes to live action. Really, and and, and you get all, and you also get the the comics to a certain extent. Yeah, I don't know, man. You I want... saw the live action trailer for that, and I was a bit worried about oh, how, yeah, how some of the characters were presented. Hey, the trailer, the trailer was, to put it bluntly, shit as fuck. Right. <laughs> That's pretty blunt. Yeah. I was wrong <laughs> because it is. It almost broke me away, but and after the second episode, I was, I was, I was drawn in. Cool. Give it at least two episodes in, and I'm, and... Then make your uh, make your opinion upon what you've seen there. I'd say because the, the trailer didn't do anything good. Right. Cool. 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 All right. Clayton, you want to read the next one? Yeah, I shall. I shall. Okay. So this one's from Ditmar uh, Messerschmitt, I believe, is how you pronounce his last name, and his question is. Um, he he keeps uh, he keeps switching between. Or is this just that? I think this is just adding on to another question, actually. Um, he says, uh, no, actually, I have this issue where I have two ideas for comics in my head, and I keep switching between the two, and nothing ever gets finished. How would one deal with such things when there's more than one idea in your head? It's a good question. Yeah, I guess. You know, like, and I'm not saying I guess because like, I'm like, oh, I get, I get why people get frustrated by that, but... Mm. Have, have you ever had a job? And I'm not being too mean on this, but like when you have a job, you have X amount of tasks that you have to get done and yeah. you allocate the time towards those tasks of, you know, whatever it'll take to get those jobs done, right? And you prioritize and it's, to me, it seems very simple. It's like, listen, I've got two ideas in my head. Uh, does one have priority over the other? Mm. Can I do both at the same time? Uh, is it smart to do both at the same time? Mm. Yes, actually. So for me, for example, if I'm working on uh, on a tutorial course and I've got a commission, that's actually perfect because I get to do some work on the tutorial and then I take a break from my mindset in that and I can switch into, okay, I'm just, I can, you know, just get creative with this commission or whatever and stuff I got or switch into something else that's very creative. Like if I'm able to switch gears and switch job tasks every couple hours or every day or something like that, that helps me, right? So for me, I would probably want at least two projects. Now, I don't know if I'd want them the exact same type mm. of project. Do you know what I mean? Two different books. Totally. I'd rather do one book and one pinup or, or mm. one project or whatever and stuff I like got. So, Well, can I ask you uh, real quick, Ed? Were you go. ever torn between... Captain Korea and doing that comic book and a bunch of other ideas that you had as well because surely you've had you know a few floating around inside your imagination yeah. I've got three or four on, that I've already scripted out and stuff right so you're just and working on all of them yeah well yes and no like I script it you know I give a rough script then I thumbnail it and stuff and I'm like okay well you know which is coming next and then I prioritize according to my other projects I've got in the lineup and stuff and I'm like okay well Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's that simple to just prioritize or, or other times it's more of a, mm. which do I feel passionate about today, right? Totally. 
but it's not so much like I don't let my passions lead me all over because you'll never get focused. You know, no. that's it. I don't know how you guys are, but sitting at the computer for 20 minutes does not allow me to accomplish much in the way of work or drawing. You know, it's an hour. It's two hours. It's mm-hmm. more, you know. Oh, big time, man. It It is funny, though, that, that you mentioned that because I got to tell you, I've been working on this superheroines course, this this wonderful course that at the beginning when I started out, I was very, very passionate about and I still am passionate <laughs> about it, right? But, yep. you know, getting up every day, like for the last two months or so, I've barely drawn anything. I've been getting up every day and writing out the dialogue for this yeah. course, right? So that yep. I can script it, make it to the point, and really make sure that I'm detailing everything out that I'm doing in a very clear way. And, yep, yep, yep. you know, you got to have a lot of commitment and a lot of determination to be able to do that. Like, you have to psych yourself up and... You can bet that I've got a billion other things in my mind that I would rather do at this point. But you've got to be committed sure. in order to get anything worth doing is going to be hard to finish. And so you've really got to commit sometimes. And that's the thing, right? Every idea, it's it's kind of like the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Like every idea yeah. that you come up with. After a while, like you're going to want to jump onto something else because it's fresh and it's novel and you know, you want to try something different. We just have that need for variety as human beings. And that's why yep. a lot of people out there, they don't stick with their ideas or projects long enough to see them through to the end. And so they have like 15 different ideas that and none of them are ever accomplished, right? Yep. How do you work what around? Do you think, Rick? Yeah. Well, I'll just finish up on that thought. Oh, sorry, sorry. Because, um, you know, I've, I've thought about, you know, how will I work around that? Because when I want to, when I jump into comics, I want to mm-hmm. do horror comic books. I want to do sci-fi. I want to do like action-packed Dragon Ball Z type comic books, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to do serious comic books that really have some kind of profound message that I want to give to the reader. And so the way that I've kind of, or the conclusion I've come to in order to get around that is who said that you have to have a lifelong legacy like Todd McFarlane where you just work on one single comic book character forever, right? Like Spawn is almost at issue 300. But, I mean, there's no reason why you can't do a couple one-offs here and there of a cool character that you came up with. Or, totally agree. You know, even a short series, like maybe six comic books or so. I think that's a good number where you tell the story and it's just a, a short little series. In my opinion, that makes it much more palatable for your audience as well because they're like, well, there's six of them to collect. That's easy. I don't have to, like, sift through a billion different issues in order to know what's going on. So I, I love that idea. Yeah. And then when you think about it, like even some some movies and stuff and TV shows, that's how they were, uh, you know, made is just to be, you know, that short episode or whatever. Right. You, you get introduced to a couple characters. It's really good writing. Yeah. And that was done. And then that's all it needed to be. Right. You're just like, wow, that was cool. Right. So I've actually been thinking with all these ideas of mine is just putting out uh, 12 page mini issues and then combining them into a yeah. bigger book. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's say four short stories in a 48-page book or something like that. And that's kind of what they used to do, right? At least with right. the horror comic books, like Vampirella yeah, right. and stuff. It wasn't yeah, just Vampirella. Exactly. It was a bunch of mini stories within that book. So you book. get to switch up. Totally. Yeah. And, totally, man. And you don't want to hate the thing that you're most passionate about, which, you know, after a while, it will become draining and it'll be a, a drag to have to get up and do it every day. And you can imagine, like, even Greg Capullo, who was working on Spawn all those years, he eventually just got burnt out from working on the character for you know sure. up to a hundred issues. And so you do have to kind of keep yourself inspired. And I think that it's not a matter of you know you don't have to stick to just one idea. Why not do all of them? Have a little bit of commitment so you can see them through, and then and jump onto the next thing. Yep, that's what's uh, our. Uh, our, our good friend of the podcast and former guest as well, Nick Melanchik does. Yeah, totally. He got he got two or three projects going. He got two different series of issue, uh, different series of comics running right now on sale that keeps he keeps producing, yeah. and he got wow. other ideas for comics running <laughs> in the background that he's writing and scribbling on at the same time. He keeps That's himself cool. busy with different projects to not tire out, which 
I also also do when I work. I can't work on the same project for more than one hour before I have to switch it over because the, else I will go. Be, it will become something automatic, automatic, and just do. And then I'll lose interest in it, and it will end up bad. And yep. the same thing will happen with comics and everything else. You need to switch things up to keep it interesting for yourself. Totally. Okay, I'm going to go on to the next one here. Yeah, for sure. And because Clayton's skipping around on me here, it's yeah. skipping people, I'm going to skip some too. <laughs> well, I, uh, I don't know. Have I skipped some? You did, oh, I think. But we can go back to the next one. Maybe it's okay, ordered we'll differently on my PC. Oh, could be. I have no idea. Yeah, actually, because I think there's chronological and then there's like most replied or something. Oh, right. All right, could well, you, you go with yours. Okay, next. so I'm going to answer Iceland. I cool. Think Iceland? Michelle Somerville's question here. All right, cool. She says, I struggle with body proportions and fitting clothes. I'm presuming she's talking about drawing here. <laughs> Tutorials and reference aren't proving much help. Got any ideas of where to start to fix this? And I'm going to jump in right away and say, yes, I've got a perfect answer to this question. Because about a year and a half ago, I took this proportions video. I'm trying to remember who made it. I, I bought it, right? I bought this course on proportions and it talked about yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know who that was? <laughs> it Anybody? was some Australian dude. It was uh, an Australian? Uh, Are you sure? I it believe I Nah he was he was Australian and he sounded really annoying after <laughs> half an hour you talked. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, but I'm gonna say straight up, I asked this question, I'm gonna answer it myself yep. because that's what I do. Um yeah, that proportions course that you made up clay Thanks. like i i i i'm not saying this to hype you because you're on the podcast with me right now and stuff i'm yeah. saying it because i took it and it opened up like i was like i get it now i get it like i had been struggling of finding a, a system now don't get me wrong i don't follow your system exactly man i yeah. i customize it for my own stuff you've seen some of my sketches and yeah, my totally, breakdowns man. and stuff like that and you can probably see the similarities to your system mm. But there's also maybe a few differences in there and stuff, right? I think. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even know. It. You know, you it's take been what like works. a bit. Yeah. And so I took what worked for me and stuff. And that, honestly, that was about 90% of your course and stuff, right? Like, yeah, uh, that's awesome. And so to Iceland, yeah, I think that's her name. I would recommend picking up your course uh, and make sure you get the video sections to it. I that's know you've got different different pricing or different uh, categories for it and mm. stuff, right? And for me, you know, whatever, it depends on the person, but I'm a video learner. I like to pause, rewind, listen again, watch again, right? And so the videos, your videos help me a lot on it. That's awesome, man. Thanks so much just for that. Be, no problem. Just to be clear here, we are talking about the proportion tutorial class made by Clayton Barton. <laughs> from comics.net do you want to uh, yeah, I was going to say do you want to give the URL as well there yeah it, no it, it was more that we were just called uh, you just called him Clay and started talking yeah. and instead and not directly were clear yeah. on yes. what we were talking about so oh, man. you guys are making like, me blush howtodrawcomics.net <laughs> and it's the uh it's the course, right? Yeah, it's you know, in the, it's, in it's, it's in the classes. Just so you yeah. know, it's not in tutorials. People get actually people get kind of confused by that, right? And so that's something to mm. address a little bit. Is like in the howtodrawcomics.net website, we've got tutorials which are just free uh, resources for students to learn off of. Yeah, and then we've got actual classes, courses that you can take, and there's a number of them uh, by Clayton, by Robert, and by myself. That's Ed. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So your proportions for figure drawing is the exact title. Yep, proportions, <laughs> figure drawing foundations, proportions. And it, it is a good one. Look, I, I actually listened back through uh, on that course myself, and I know that sounds kind of strange and self-indulgent to do, but you know, <laughs> I, I put a lot of time into making sure that was on point. So it's a great reference even for me. And you know, I, I'm very proud of, of that course. And I love that so many people have gotten that value out of it and it's it's made such an impact on the way they work so i'm always humbled ed when when you mention it to be to be and, honest you know i want to be especially clear this wasn't like i didn't buy it when we were buddies or hanging out or anything no, i didn't buy it out of that. sympathy this was i didn't even know you yeah. i like i don't 
I don't even know if the Facebook group was up and running at the time or maybe it was, it very was or just starting. And uh, like it was just I saw the course and I was like, I need some direction in this area. You know, I need to work on my foundational skills. And it just set me on the right path at the right time and when I needed it. So it was awesome. That's so awesome, man. Well, since you took care of the proportions part of it, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll talk about the the fitting of the clothes on okay, the actual the human of the body clothes. because yeah. that this is a really interesting one, and I've just been talking about it actually in that superheroines course I um yeah. I talked about, and you know one of the characters actually have like this big long cape and this long loincloth, and oh, you know it's cool. kind of mixed with the the armor, of course. So when it comes to rendering. And and creating the the folds of the material in a way that have form and and that look correct on the body. The interesting part is that most of the time the drapery is going to be determined by the fold uh, by the form that's wearing it. So, for example, mm-hmm. if you have a flat piece of cloth on the ground, right? It has it, it takes on the it, it takes on a plane essentially a flat plane because it's conforming yep. to the floor. But then if you put that same cloth onto a bowling ball, well, suddenly it takes on a spherical formation. And when you look at the way in which the light projects down onto that cloth now, it's shaded in the same way that you would shade a sphere. That's its primary form, right? But, of course, then we've got the secondary forms within that, which are made up by the, the folds and the creases of the material. So what's important is to remember that the folds within the clothing that your character is wearing is going to be placed in around the major form that the material is is conforming to okay so you know for example the if someone's wearing a t-shirt right like you hold a t-shirt up mm-hmm. and it's just a flat cut out t-shirt essentially of the piece of material right. but then they wear it and all of a sudden it's got volume to it it's got it's got this sense of of mass right and all of a sudden that's shaded completely differently. So that's the main thing to think about is that most of the time the form of the material itself is going to conform to the body that's wearing it. Okay, so... And that's the easiest piece of advice. Now, as far as the, the the folds that I was mentioning before, remember that they're going to be at the whim of how the body twists and turns and where they bunch up. You know, you've got, you got tension points which are going to occur around the the areas that basically pull the material and, and cause it to scrunch up. So, you know, around the shoulders, for example, um, you're going to yeah. find that the, the folds in the material tend to fall away from those points of tension right yep so i call them pinch points actually pinch points yeah totally yeah that's totally yeah because it, it's like everything bunches and pinches up at that point right yeah exactly and so like the armpit for example on a t-shirt when some when i'm when muscular guys like rick are wearing t-shirts you can see see <laughs> yeah, how it pinches yeah, yeah. up and then it stretches over his massive biceps and stuff you know yeah, totally. And and that's another interesting thing as well. Like the fit of the material is, is going to determine how those folds and creases look, how and tight then, it fits against the body, how loose it hangs from it. Right. The type of material, whether Rick's wearing like his leather uh, chaps or whether <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> jogging now, now we are going places that I'm not comfortable totally, with. Totally. Pineapple, guys. Pineapple. Yeah, very much so. so. Okay, well, maybe we should go to the next question. Well, yeah. Question, um, okay, cool. So next question, let's take a look here. Well, there's one from Ronnie Perry. Um, so yep. when shading and blending colors to create different effects, how should one go about it? Uh, should they start with darker, then add lighter colors where he needs them, or or what does he do, right? And that's uh, that really is down to your your personal preference at least uh, in the way that i've seen other artists work because me personally i always work from dark to light okay and i think that the most artists tend to because they like to build up the colors in layers right like that like mm-hmm. to pull the highlights out of the shadows so to speak but then there's other artists out there who like to start off light and then work the dark tones in there in order to create that form. So wouldn't it depend on the medium? It 
it does it does depend on the medium, but somewhat, I, I, right? I, yeah, it's somewhat right because you could still yeah. go about it in in those same ways. You just might yeah. have to you know wait for the paint to dry longer or, or sure, whatever. sure, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, but, I don't know how to work in all mediums, so that might be completely wrong what I've just said. But you know, the way I work digitally, I tend to build it up as if I'm using oil paints, right? It's yeah, it's funny. It's the same for me digitally. I go dark to light, but watercolor, I go light to dark. There you go. But what, and you don't really have but, a choice in that matter, actually. Well, kind of. But so that's what I'm saying. I think it depends yeah. on the medium. Um, what do you um, think, Rick? Oh, thank you. I think you, you got because more traditional this is stuff. A, this, is a sub, this is a subject I can actually uh, I can actually be a really good part of. <laughs> okay, you go for um, it, brother. Um, for, uh, first off, in, in my experience, when I've, uh, when I've tried it digitally, it actually makes a difference how you started. When yeah, dark, sometimes. Dark to light or light to dark. Be mm -hmm. Because it because you, if you start from the uh, from the dark, that that will be your ground color. That will be almost no matter how much light you decide to put on it. That will always be what there will be eventually be most of. Okay, I get because you. Because you will always be more more focused on okay and more careful about adding the light than mm -hmm. the, than the dark you already put on so your 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 colors of the character uh, and the surrounding you're in if everything there is drawn uh, painted colored from dark to light will always be darker at in the end if you did mm. the exact same on another one where you started from light to dark, if you see my point, because there, I do. Yeah. there the light would, you started with will always be more than the dark, so it will be the opposite. It will yeah. be, obviously, be lighter and darker. And that's a good mm -hmm. thing to also keep in mind, depending on what kind of cop. As an example, what kind of comic you want to draw. Like, you want to draw, you want to, you want to call a Superman? Well, mm -hmm. he's light, his surroundings are light, Start with lighter coil, light, lighter flats, and go dark. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that that definitely makes sense. Although I do think that you can bring those lighter tones up to you know the brighter, the bright in the very bright value range if you want to. You oh, know, yeah. well, digitally, uh, you can yeah. do so many layer options and stuff. I got that. There's almost exactly. like it gets so weird and wonky. Start mm. putting overlay layers down. You know, hard lights and stuff. Yeah. And everything can get all blown out really easy. But I totally get what Rick's saying is, yeah. you know, you start dark, there's a chance you're going to end darker than if you started light and worked down. Yeah. So what true. I do is actually I start at, like, let's say my my dark shade layer, uh, I'll set it at, like, let's say 60% opacity or something or 50%, mm. do my shade, right? And that's yeah. my base shade layer. And then I'll go and do another shade layer after I add in highlights and stuff that'll be an like a, an even darker shade. Oh, to, cool. Do you know what I mean? To, to, to drop it even darker and, and stuff in just the corners of things and stuff. Oh, so yeah. I try to be wary of what Rick's telling us here is like I, I might have a tendency to go too dark to start off. So I kind of bring myself into a middle zone a little bit and then make sure that I revisit the darks afterwards. Yeah, that's a good point. And honestly, I kind of, uh, I use a lot of fancy adjustment layers. I mean, I use two, mm -hmm. I use two fancy adjustment layers. I use the curves tool, which kind of adjusts the contrast yep. of the, the image. So what ends up happening is those dark values end up getting darker, the light values end up getting lighter. So yep. that value range kind of expands in a sense and, and becomes more contrasty, right? Yeah. Um, it is... Hey, Rick... Sorry, I want to ask Rick, uh, yeah. what do you think about the different mediums, though, like uh, using watercolor or, or uh, pastel or anything? Do you think it makes a difference? Like, do you work in those more? Uh, watercolor, it... Uh, Acrylics? That... I, don't, I don't know. I know you do, you've do. you done murals and stuff, right? So did you... Yeah, watercolor, you, you... watercolors... Uh, that's a bit, hard, a bit hard for me to explain because I don't... Uh, I personally, when I've worked with them, I, I personally don't feel like they have. But I okay. know other artists that have worked with much longer time is way better at 
using uh, using those uh, those different statistics that they do. <laughs> so I think that's that's more like what the eye sees more than the more than what, what what's going on, or maybe I've just not dwelled that much into watercolor. I've, I was more into oils. Uh, gotcha. So with oils, what do you start with, dark or light? That depended on 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 the whole picture, okay. in my view. Because uh, let's let's go back to it. Uh, try try another. No no no. Let's. If I had to draw a church, like a uh, uh, painted church, I've done that, and it had to be whole, uh, like a holy holy feeling. Mm-hmm. I started out with the lights because those were the important parts of, in my opinion, because that was what had, the, that was the strength of the drawing that people wanted after all. So that was where gotcha. that had to have, have have most of, and then add add the uh, the darks gently, so I, I had more control o- over when to stop. Okay. Mm, Rather than sense. feeling like I like I had to add too much uh, too much light that mm-hmm. perhaps necessary in order to drown out the black, I'd rather the the whole idea of drowning out something else just sounds wrong in my view in my my view. But ma- many colorists does that, as yeah. far as I can tell. Let's just use a little more of this color to go drown out that. And I'm sitting like, why did you use that color to begin with then? Right. Makes yeah, sense, I think right? it punches, punches too hard sometimes. It, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's, it's yeah. just comes off too strong. Yeah. Like when when I when I drew, when I painted uh, Warhammer figures, mm-hmm. there's the, there's light, there's the, the the light side and the dark side. All, all those figures uh, need, needs like an undertone color. Mm-hmm. What do you give the light? What do you give the dark? Uh, the dark characters you give them black or dark brown. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the base. like that, right? Mm. Yep. Well, uh, yes, in a in a funny way, like when you you were talking about your coloring process just before Ed and and you as well, Rick. And I know this is the same for my coloring process. We actually start with the mid-tone most of the time for the flats, yep. right? Those base colors. Yep. And then we work in the shadows, and then we work in the highlights. So just to make sure that's clear, we're not saying that you necessarily have to start with, like, say your character is purple. You don't have to start with, like, the darkest tone purple that oh, no, is going no, to be no, present no, no, in no, the no, illustration. No, no. You start right. with the mid-tone no. of that purple. Yeah, and work, exactly. work forward and backwards. Yeah, totally. That's not what we're saying. That's not yeah. what we're saying at all. Because yeah. if you do that, you already ruin ruined the whole painting. <laughs> I, color but like I said, I think, I think it's really dependent on the medium. For example, yeah. like I don't do a lot of work yeah. in in watercolors, but I do some work in in uh, uh, markers and stuff, right? And uh, unless you're gonna, you know, daub on the white ink and white out and stuff like that, you got to leave that paper you know, mm. without any marker on it to give it the highlight, right? To, to give it the light part of it, right? Or leave, or just, so, like, I think it depends on the on the medium that you're using. It depends on the uh, the way you're approaching it and stuff. But, like, I can't use the same approach that I do on digital as I can with markers. It just the, the workflow doesn't, I can't work back and forth as easily. Mm. I can do it a little bit, but nowhere near as, as easy it is for me digitally. Yeah, totally. Does that make sense? You know, like if I really want to punch up the highlights on a digital piece, yeah, I could throw on another highlight layer. I could do a lot of things, put mm-hmm. a gradient uh, shade on there. You know, I can do all that. But on if I'm working on markers and I've already laid down the base flesh, well, how do I brighten that up now? Yeah. Other than slathering white on it, you know, it's really hard to to lighten up the piece other than making the rest darker and stuff, right? So I think it, it depends on. Uh, which medium you're using for uh, your approach might have to shift just that little bit on it, right? Yeah, big time, man. And I totally and 100% agree with that. Cool. Yeah. Next question? Awesome. Okay, so wh- what is the next question? Um, Do you want, is it me that's reading it or is it you? I can't remember. I think it's it's you. I just read that one. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go with one. Ronald Cayley. What is the best way, in your opinion to practice anatomy, 
perspective and backgrounds. Ah, that's a good one. Well, <laughs> why, do you, why well. do you forget that? Because uh, when it comes to anatomy, like only, only, only a month or so ago, I bought this uh, course on how to draw comics.net by. Oh, Did you? Who's yeah, that? by by some Canadian dude, like like All a right. big box, big box Canadian. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, I don't want it to be too much self-promotion on here, yeah, but yeah, late. honestly... Uh, <laughs> oh, too late! Too late, no, but there's a lot of anatomy yeah. courses out there, there I is. think. In I've got mine, I, I hope people like it, uh, it's been well-received, but there's others out there and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say this, I think mine's the best bang for your buck, though. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and the other good thing about yours, Ed, is that it, it actually takes real-life examples of the human body that it, you know presents it, the anatomy in a very very clear way and then you show people how to break it down that's what did it for me is show them how to cool. break it down and then how to reconstruct it which is the key that you're never told because people kind of show you anatomy charts and and where all the muscles are placed but they don't actually show you how to construct that underlying figure and then lay the muscles on top and I just love that you've got these practice exercises that, you know, are easy to follow th along with as you're watching the, the video. So I think you did a great job with it. And that's what, for Thanks, me, man. makes it stand out uh, against most of the other anatomy courses out there. Because it's also not too long-winded. It's very straightforward mm -hmm. at the same time. And I think, you know, you don't want to be sitting there for two hours watching one lesson on shoulders, right? Like, you, And you don't need to, I don't think. <laughs> Yeah, so um, you know all yeah. of all of my vids, uh, all my videos on there. I think were twenty minutes or so in length, right? Yeah, and I yeah. wanted to show not just because anybody can look up shoulder anatomy and just get an anatomy chart and stuff, right? And and I get it because that's what I have done and I I still do sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to show really what it looks like from different angles as we turn it, as we rotate it, mm -hmm. and does moving it, does moving the hinge joints affect how the muscle looks do you know what i mean and i think that's really important because a lot of people don't understand that things look weird if you don't understand how it looks when it moves or or flexes or something like that yeah, totally. that the bicep shortens as you flex uh, the elbow joint you know it um it, it, right it distorts it, it has a different look when it's flexed than when it's extended right and same with the hamstring and stuff so like that's what i was hoping to do is uh, not just show anatomy as in this is, you know, the gastronemus. No, I wanted to show this is how it functions. And this isn't so much an exercise video, but it is, we, we need to, as artists, we need to understand that, you know, not everybody's going to be standing there like an anatomy chart, flexed <laughs> with their arms <laughs> extended and just easy to highlight every, every muscle. It's not going to always look like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a leg's going to be bent. Sometimes an arm's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to look different. And so hopefully the anatomy video helps convey that yeah totally and you because i got you to send through a little bio for the uh, website the other day and i actually saw that you studied this stuff i did i don't really talk about it that much but yeah uh, i studied at university for a while in strength and conditioning wow and um i think you guys know i'm an avid fan of bodybuilding and stuff i've, I've prepped <laughs> totally. a lot of guys for bodybuilding shows and stuff like that wow nice uh, man Trained you know with IFBB stuff. pros, so this is all stuff that I love, and I just I've always enjoyed it. And uh, that's yeah, awesome. So I, I got to hopefully convey it in in that course, right? So you learned well, your anatomy yeah. at university, basically. I did, yeah, yeah, I did. But no, no, I want to say I actually ran into conflicts—not conflict sometimes, but uh, cross conflict or something. Like uh, there's some things that are textbook applicable and there's some things that are real life applicable and so at university sometimes i'd be like hey you're saying this doesn't work but i've seen it work in the gym so something's wrong with your methodology here or something totally. you know like and uh so not that i university classes but that i think the real life experience has played into it tons too yeah big time and rick what were you gonna add to that well i was just gonna gonna add to what it said about how how he didn't just made make an anatomy course which there's like thousand if not more on the internet but he made a course on how anatomy worked in function yeah. which there is actually very little of 
proper tutorials of if you if you go ahead and try Google searches. There's not much. The mo most anatomy videos is standstill of bodies and just yeah. that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, so you get more bang, so you get more bang bang for your buck. Not only it's sexy voice, but actually also really <laughs> great knowledge. Very much. You know, so. it's interesting you guys say that. I should add that into the product description now that I think about it. <laughs> about the you should. Voice? You should. That it's not just a standing anatomy, you know, a static anatomy image that you can look up online. This is for functionality as well, right? Yeah, big time. And, yeah. and you know, for, for those out there who who maybe don't have the the finances to invest into a course just yet, and by the way, it's it's very, you know, cheap to, for what yeah. it is. Um, but... You know, if you just, you know, you just want a reference out there and, and you're not sure how to draw the peck of the character that you're about to uh, illustrate, well, jump online and try to find as many references as you can because yep. references are never a bad thing. And I definitely have an entire sheet of references when it comes to making, like if I'm drawing an illustration where that anatomy has to be spot on, you can bet mm -hmm. that I've got a ton of anatomy references there, even though I already know my anatomy pretty well. Like take all those references away and, and take the training wheels away and leave me on my own to draw. Yeah, I can, I can definitely put all the muscles in the right places and to the right size, but yep. it's good just to have those references there regardless one, because it reminds you, exactly how things look because oftentimes the idea of how things look can get a little bit skewed over time right for you don't sure necessarily remember things in the way that they actually are um yep. so i i find that a good that's why i checked out your course ed because it was a great refresher just to make things click for me uh, a little bit more and and to remind me of where everything sat um, I actually bought uh, Proko's anatomy course as well. Also another oh, excellent great. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah he great. goes into an insane amount of like depth that you would only need to know if you were a surgeon or a serial killer. Yeah. But um, exactly. you know, it's, yeah, it's and it's very in depth. But it's I think you get what you pay for with you know? Propanenko stuff. Like his oh, yeah. courses are hundreds of dollars and stuff. Generally, if I recall, I, I and love his so courses. That's, uh, but. You know, he's got twenty something hours in his anatomy and stuff like. Yeah, it's huge. It's 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 massive, and 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 I love that. Hmm. And I think for advanced learners, it's great. But yeah. for beginner to intermediate, it might be too overwhelming and stuff, right? So yeah. I think if you're an advanced learner and you want to have it as a resource, someone like yourself, I think it's it's a great resource totally. to have and stuff, right? But for the average uh, medium to beginner, yeah. it might be a bit too much of a meal for them. And sometimes you want, think, you want something it, quick I... and, and to the point as well like, yeah. a lot of the time. When you're, when you're stuck on something, you don't want to have to sit through 20 hours of content to get to the point. You want, you want yeah. something there that you can use straight away. Yep. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that many amateur artists have been been scared away from all of just looking at the amount of hours in those classes totally. to be honest yeah 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 and they're huge they're pretty daunting yeah and and when you're looking at at the muscle references by the way like don't just look at the the shape of the muscle and where it's positioned look at the size of the muscle how it relates to the other muscles and be very observant of that stuff like Try to ask yourself questions as you're taking in these references and as you're drawing. Like whenever you get stuck, look at the reference to see if you can find your answer. Right. Yep. So that's my my final and piece of advice on that. I'll add one more thing to it. You know, look at the the character and the functionality of the pose. You know, yeah. is this a little girl who is sitting, you know, on the sofa, or is this uh, a, an elite athlete? playing in their sport you know a lot of things are going to change the body types are going to change the muscular is going to change now everybody's got the same muscles let's be clear about this clayton rick me we've all got a six you know we've got all got abs and stuff like that they just looked uh, even, I, I, even I a got wrestler has abs yeah unless there's been some surgery or accident we're all walking around with basically the same muscular anatomy yeah. it's just how visible it is and when it becomes visible in what types of functions and stuff, right? So that's something to keep in mind, too, is, like, uh, you don't have to have everything flexed every minute of the day. <laughs> you look like a douche, right? And even in a comic yeah, book, yeah. they look goofy. You don't want to look yeah. like that. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't.
I, I, uh, got, but... I, got a, I got a little add-on as well, if you would on it. Oh, go ahead. Uh, as, as they said, to make their understand uh, anatomy easier. When I, when I first started, I always tried to take uh, each separate group of, of muscle and try it and add a more familiar object to it that helped me that helped me <laughs> understand like oh that looked like that, garlic that, that looked like a potato like the like a <laughs> like a like a like a strong flex bicep could look totally. could somewhat look like a potato right with sure, a claw sure, sure. Oh, yeah oh wait or <laughs> as it says in uh, <laughs> says himself yeah. Garlic. Yeah. The garlic cloves, the shoulders. So of garlic cloves. I always have that in mind that yeah. when I speak, speak anatomy, instead of thinking of all the fancy names for the muscles, just oh, that's the potato muscle or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Those associations and, are good to have. Try and visualize, visualize it as something else that you might be more familiar with, and it will become easier for you to understand how things might work. Yep. Cool. Uh, just so we know, on this Ronald's question, there's two more sections, right? There is perspective and backgrounds, and they kind of go together a little bit. Yeah. Um, Do you, should we leave those to the next episode? Yeah, we're getting kind of long. So, so we're at an okay, hour Ronald. And five minutes. But I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint, Ronald. We're going to have to leave that. Leave you hanging. Yeah, but but. <laughs> We are totally going to do another one of these episodes because I think they're to it's so awesome, and it yeah. really helps to you know offer you guys listening more value on the topics that you want to know about, right? So it's not just us, you know, rambling on about what we think is important, and that's what I love about this particular episode. And I think it went super well. I actually learned a lot from Ed and Rick just listening to you guys answer them because we've all got our own perspectives on these kinds of topics which is what is fantastic about having three of us here to kind of answer these questions agreed yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it's amazing how similar our approaches are on some of it right mm. oh yeah definitely uh, yeah. rick yeah well and you also get the three different answers so if you don't can't follow two two of the answers given you can there's more than likely a chance that the third one you can relate more to when it comes to which way to go in order to get get what you want from what you're listening to. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, every artist is an individual. We all have our own approaches to this stuff and, and the ways in which we like to work. And it, it does come down to preference a lot of the time, except for some things. Some things, it's going to be across the board. Yeah, there's no escaping it. Exactly. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you guys one, once more. So thanks for joining us, Ed and Rick. And to the listeners out there, thank you so much for being here with us. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure as always. Until next time, keep on creating.